I got to get out of this. But then, you know, again, the, the ego death was huge because, you know, when you're, when you're 24, 25 making, you know, a good six figure salary and you got everything like that's really hard to walk away from. So I really needed that to just be like, it doesn't matter. It, it like the money doesn't, your happiness is what matters. And it, and it truly was. Let me introduce our guest. Cody Stevenson is an entrepreneur and a real estate investor. He has worked in the cannabis industry, specifically working more on marketing side and creating marketing cannabis companies, as well as other companies, I believe. He also is a real estate investor. He sold a property of his earlier this year and took the time to travel around the country, work remotely, and lived in a what does he say 40 foot trail behind or trailer behind with his wife and he decided that he needed to get back in the real estate game he just closed on a duplex just two months ago and mm -hmm. he's starting to set that up so he has two units he can rent it out he can get back in, on the road and travel to mexico so cody thanks so much for taking the time to be with us yeah for sure man thanks for having me yeah, thanks so, for coming on. Yeah, it's been great. And yeah, we've both kind of known each other for, yeah, we've been probably a year and a half, maybe two years at this point now. Yeah. Yeah, I think right about a year and a half. Yeah. 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 So we got connected, yeah, through Bigger Pockets, just random reach out when you had a post about, yeah, your property out there in Edgewater. And we got connected and yeah, we're making things happen now. So yeah, why don't you give us just a, I guess Alex covered a lot of it, but just runs through 30,000 foot view of, yeah, where you came from, how you got into real estate and entrepreneurship and everything there. Yeah, I'm a Marine Corps veteran. I got out of the Marine Corps in 2007, started my first company, which was a video production company. I exited that about three years in, right around 09, 2010, I believe. Um, went on this kind of detour in life and got involved in experimental flight testing in aerospace. I did that for five years, really hated having a real job and the whole corporate world. So I quit that and decided that I needed to get back into entrepreneurship. Started a couple agencies where we worked with Fortune 500 companies doing marketing campaigns. Decided that was too similar to the corporate world and hated that. Exited those agencies and then just figured out life for a little bit. Me and my wife sold our house on the East Coast and moved to Colorado. And that's where everything started to come together for me. I dove headfirst into the cannabis industry, started a few companies, sold a company, got involved in another company to come in and build their revenue. I'm still with that company and actually in the process of potentially buying out the majority holder of that company. And in all that, buying property, selling property, and as Alex has mentioned, just have my first real true investment property is uh, the duplex I hear that I have. Sweet. So things are going good. You just got your first, what you said, true investment property which i would argue that any purchase of real estate it is an investment although like you were talking now out before the show you did lose a little bit of money on one of the houses that you sold and you had to pay some money to sell it and that kind of 
hung you up on you're like ah screw this real estate stuff this is all bogus what it got you back into it? and tell a little bit of the backstory of your first purchase how you lost money and why you thought your real estate was not worth it and then where you're at now with your mindset getting back into it and focusing more on an investment property yeah my wife and i bought our first property Man, I don't even know. It was a long time ago. I think I was about 24 and we lived on the East Coast, mainly because my wife is from the East Coast, but she was also going to college out there. And I always wanted to get off the East Coast and she just didn't really know about the West. But anyways, we got stuck out there for, I don't know, 10 years or something. We were in this property for five and it just wasn't in a really good market. And at the time I didn't, I wasn't even really focused on making money on real estate but it took us two years to sell that house. And then when I finally did, I ended up paying about $5,000 at closing just to get out of it. I and mean, that's when we decided to move to Colorado. And when that happened, I just had a really bad taste in my mouth for property ownership and real estate. I and mean, I went on this rant and I would tell everybody, I was like, just rent like property, owning property isn't worth it. There's all this maintenance. It's a headache. It's just not worth it. And honestly, like I was just in this period of my life where I had just moved to Colorado. I was really enjoying being somewhere that I really loved. Like Colorado was the first place I had ever lived where I felt like it was home and I was proud to live there. And then I started meeting friends and people and I would talk to all these people and they'd be like, oh yeah, man, I paid $100,000 on my house and I held it for a year. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's insane. And so I started doing a lot of research and like looking into it. And one day I came home and I told my wife, Katie, I was like, we got to buy We got to buy property. We had a bad experience because we were in a bad market. Like the market here is on fire. I was like, we got to get into something and like, that's going to build a lot of equity for us. And then we're going to start investing more heavily after that. And sure enough, we closed on a house in a really popular neighborhood that was up and coming in Denver, I, December 31st, 2019. My God, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, good uh, time to get in. <laughs> Exactly. And then right when we got into that property, I had also, I had office space in Denver and our lease was up in February, 2022. And, or I'm sorry, 2020. And I was paying attention to the whole pandemic thing pretty closely before, like it was even being talked about in the States. And I was like, I think this is going to play out really well for us as far as the house. And I'm ending this lease in Denver because I think that's going to get really weird. And it was really funny when I went and told the company that I was ending the lease. They're like, why are you ending the lease? And I started, I was explaining to them about COVID and everything. I don't even think it was called COVID at the time. And they were like, what? I was like, they were like, this guy's crazy. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, whatever. We're not renewing the lease. Moved on. And then. I think everybody knows what happened during COVID. We got, we sold that house in February of 2022, did very well on it. And then as Alex had mentioned at the beginning, at that time we were already traveling full-time and that was another part of the reason we needed to sell the house. It just didn't make sense for us to hold the property. And I'd originally thought, then the reason I reached out to Ben was I was in this predicament where I was like, should I do something else with it? Or should I just sell it and take the money out of it and move on? And I was in this really small area of Denver called Edgewater. And I looked into it and you couldn't do short-term rentals there for more than 60 days. So it didn't make sense to hold it and do something like that. I guess in hindsight, maybe I could have looked at midterm rentals or something like that. But at the time, honestly, I was just looking to take the equity and move on and do something else. But 
Now, after traveling the country all the summer, we came back. It was really bothering me moving around the country and not having like a solid asset. So got back in touch with Ben and I was like, hey man, we're going to be back in Colorado in a couple months. Let's get something done. And got back here, got this duplex purchased and now we are renovating it and I'm actually sitting in it right now. There's plastic and drywall everywhere. And uh, yeah, we're going to, we're literally, I could go outside and throw a rock at the Northern Colorado Medical Center um, and we're going to midterm rent it for uh, traveling nurses. And then the University of Northern Colorado is also in the neighborhood and maybe that will bring in some professionals that, that might need a midterm rental for that. That's yeah. awesome. I didn't realize the location was close to the medical center. And then also I knew the university was there, but it sounds like there's a lot of strategery (laughs) (laughs) in your planning for purchasing this house. Yeah, I was, and I wasn't like sold on Colorado, but I had some like a special circumstance, I guess where so if you're like a digital nomad or if you travel full-time regardless of how that is there's only three states that you can be a resident of and like basically be a digital nomad that's florida texas and south dakota they're the only states that don't actually require you to live there and become a residence so it was getting close to the end of the year and i either needed to figure out if i was going to give up my colorado residency and become a resident of one of these states or I needed to get back to Colorado and buy a piece of property. And we love Colorado, so I had no problem staying a resident of Colorado. And as I mentioned earlier, I really wanted to get back in to holding assets. And so it just made sense to come back here and get something purchased. And I was looking at Bend, Oregon really hard as well because we love it there. And I there was a fourplex there that I was really interested in. But then in all my searching, I found this property and I, Ben had turned me on to the midterm rentals and with just the location of this property being right next to the hospital, being close to the university campus, I just felt like it made a lot of sense. And that's why we pulled the trigger here. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to go back a little bit just to the whole process, or at least with your Edgewater property and kind of everything that we went through. Luckily, or yeah, I would say it's a lot of luck that you got in at the end of 2019. And then we got connected in yeah late 2021 at that point. And it was, that is two years, not even really at that point in hindsight. 2020, you made a tremendous return on that property. And yeah, that afforded you to be able to increase these endeavors and push yourself into a different space. Everybody can say that that's luck as well, but we did run the numbers and I'm always a person for holding on to assets as much as you can. But as we looked into it and ran the numbers on it, just with the layout of the property, the size of the property, there wasn't really too much creative avenues that we could take with it. It did end up making sense to offload it with that incredible equity that you had with it. And who knows, you could have waited until now, probably wouldn't have gotten as much as we did. You could probably have waited a couple of years, who knows what would have happened with it. But now you're, yeah, sitting up there in, yeah, Greeley, Colorado with a pretty solid duplex that's going to hopefully be affording you quite a good return on that as well. But being a veteran, you're using what I assume is your VA loan to kind of purchase. You've used that to purchase all of these properties, which for the people who don't know, the VA loan does afford you quite a lot of good benefits. The main ones being you get to do 0% down, you get an incredible interest rate. So it does afford you even further to yeah, invest in real estate even better. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, for sure. Like the VA loan is awesome. I did not use the VA loan on my first property that I ever purchased. And I don't have a good reason why I didn't. I just didn't. And I did that property we were talking about in Edgewater. I did. And I think another important thing to maybe just point out for listeners on that Edgewater property is I lived in that house for almost exactly 25 months. So I did not have to pay capital gains taxes on any of the money that I got from that house. And that was very intentional. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think I remember chatting about that when we first got connected. I was like, how long have you lived in it? And we were like, it's going to be two years exactly on yeah December 31st or whatever it was. I was like, yeah, we got to make sure they stay up until that date just so we don't run into any issues. (laughs) Ballpark estimate, how much equity did you, were you able to walk away from that sale with? Yeah, I know. Just so everybody knows, I'm a super transparent person. Like, I don't have a problem, like, putting anything out there. I made $250,000 on that house. Obviously, commissions to Ben, the realtor, and some other small things. But I think I walked with one eighty. Yeah. So you like heard all these people that were like, yeah, I bought a house and I sold it for a hundred thousand dollars or made a hundred thousand dollars. And then you became that person, but you actually sold it for and made $200,000, which is like the incredible power of, again, knowing your market and knowing where you want to invest your money. And that's the one thing I think that is unique about the Denver market is that there's always, or not even just Denver, but the Colorado market is that you have so much opportunity for appreciation gain and equity growth. And whereas if you're on the East Coast, you're not gonna see that same equity gain. And it's more, or it's a different game of, if you're buying investment properties, you're looking more for cash flow rather than equity gain. And it just comes back down to the strategy that you wanna do. And then once you sold that property, you had the freedom to choose what you wanted to do next. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, it was really great. And I just to speak to you talking about the East Coast and appreciation, that house that we had lived in on the East Coast, which by the way, was just north of Baltimore, right on the Pennsylvania, Maryland line. I purchased that house for 180000 I believe the final sale price five years later was 185000 But at close, just how everything worked out, I needed to bring $5,000 to the table. I decided, I looked at that property just the other day just to see where its ballpark valuation is. And we're talking a decade later now, it's at 260000 And it hasn't even gained yeah. 100000 in 10 years. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, that's the issue. Sometimes the things people don't even look at, even if it has increased in value on the sale side, you are looking at the closing costs, you're looking at paying transaction fees, repairs, commissions, everything like that. Even if your property may have gone up some or even a little bit in value, you're still looking at yeah having to pay to get rid of it, <laughs> which yep. is not a great situation to be in or not feel very good about, hey, I'm paying you to take my house away pretty much. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But that kind of opens up. I know that that was one of the things that I was going to ask is if you used your VA loan on that property, that first property that you sold. Because I know, especially if you do have a VA loan and you do end up with this 0% down payment, it can put you in a situation where, yeah, you don't build any equity, or even if you do, it's not going to put you over the edge to be able to it may not be enough to walk away with. No, can the other benefit with a VA loan is that it's assumable from the next for the next buyer so that is that's all you know with the market the way it is currently especially it is hey right now is a good time for va loans because they are assumable 
you can assume them and you can get creative on the sale. So you may actually be able to get away with it without having to pay that 5,000 or whatever your equity has dropped in that time. Yeah, exactly. You've taught me a lot of what I know now, Ben, and like, you're exactly right. Yeah. Quick side note on assumable loans, just being the mortgage person. But for those that don't know, if you are a veteran or even an FHA loan, it's government loans that are assumable. You can, let's say somebody bought a house when Cody did in 2019, right before the pandemic. So his interest rate was probably in the fours, maybe the high threes at the time, which is a very good rate compared to what we're seeing today, which is anywhere from, you know, high fives to mid sixes. But with a VA loan, you're going to get a lower interest rate if you're applying generally. But if you're doing an assumable loan, you can go in and actually take over that loan for the person and keep that interest rate. So you're not having to be hit with such a high payment. So it's definitely a good, it's one of the amazing benefits of the VA loan in pair with 0% down payment, which is how you were able to acquire your duplex. I assume it's how you were able to qualify or acquire your house in Edgewater as well. And then you also have access to lower interest rates, which is just a huge advantage for those veterans and when they're purchasing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think in that house in Edgewater, I came in, at, I was at 3.8 in 2019. And then I actually refinanced it in 2021, I believe middle of the summer. And I was at like 2.75. Yes, nuts. <laughs> yeah. Other benefit <laughs> of VA loans is you can do what's called an EARL. It's an interest rate reduction refinance is what it stands for. And it's a super smooth process doing a refinance on a VA loan. It does not take, it takes a half of the documentation. They don't need your income documentation. They don't need your bank statements or anything like that. You just qualify if you're a veteran, if the rates are lower and they'll just reduce your loan. I've seen those close in four days. So that's another benefit of being a veteran is when rates do get lower, it's very easy to refinance and get a lower rate, lower your payment. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then unfortunately, not unfortunately, at the, when I refinance it, I actually didn't have a plan to sell it. And then I ended up selling it, I think six or eight months later. <laughs> yep. Hey, that's life though. And that's, and that I think yeah, you know, jumps into the other thing we were talking about earlier about real estate is going to be a roller coaster ride. You're going to get shit thrown at you and you need to know how to make the most of that shit. So that was one thing I wanted to chat with you about is how is it going with the duplex now? It sounds like you've had a few bumps in the road since you closed on the house. And I think that's something that's important to speak to is the reality of real estate investing. Yeah, it's not all yeah. sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> exactly. It's it was everything was going super smooth for the first month. In fact, we were just about done with the downstairs unit and about to list it to get a tenant in here. And I was telling Alex this right before the show. I was at our, so just to get some context on this duplex, the woman that lived in the downstairs unit lived here for 37 years. The woman that lived upstairs lived there for 34 years. Our neighbors live in, they call it the twin house because the house that is right next to ours is identical to the house that I bought. And our neighbors bought that house 34 years ago. They knew the two women that lived here <laughs> very well. And so I came home like a couple weeks ago and I talked to them. They're very interested in what they're doing. I actually 
actually I'm actually suspicious. I think they are actually excited that we might be interested in buying their property one day. I was just about to say, yeah, we're you might be looking at an off market deal right there. <laughs> yep, yeah, exactly. But and I'm talking Charles is the guy, great couple, and they've been a wealth of knowledge too because they know they actually know the property. They've been here so long, and they can tell me anytime anything's happened to it. I come home and Charles is out there and he's like, "Hey, how's it going?" And I'm like, "It's going really great," and I'm really excited to see it. So I was like, "We'll have you guys over in a week or two, and we'll show you everything." We and I literally walk inside from talking to Charles, and I can hear my wife Katie downstairs. She's, "Babe, come down here!" And I'm like, "Oh no!" So I come running down here, and she's in one of the bedrooms, and I look up, and the ceiling is saturated. One of the walls is saturated. All the paint that we had just put on is peeling off because it's soaked. And I'm like, there's a leak in the ceiling. So I just went into fix it mode and I busted the ceiling open. I found the leak. When they had originally built the house, they ran the copper plumbing lines like with no margin for error. They cut out exactly enough space in the truss so the copper line could go through it. And I'm assuming just over 70 years, this truss smash this line and just put a pinhole leak in it. So that was the first issue, how to fix that. That's actually getting wrapped up today. And then this week I had an issue. I knew that, so both units are identical. The bathrooms are right above each other. We are living in the upstairs unit while we renovate the downstairs unit. And anytime we take showers in the upstairs unit, it drains a little slow. I knew that was going to be an issue. Tuesday of this week, my wife took a shower and it just was not draining at all. I come downstairs, the downstairs bath bathtub is basically full to the brim. And I'm like, we got to get a router service out here. We can get in this too about Greeley and service providers, but <laughs> that's a whole nother thing. I finally get a company out here. They, he spends, I don't know, maybe three hours trying to snake this drain then tells me we need to rip up the floor. And I'm like, that, this got drastic really quickly, sir. And he can tell I'm not like stoked about ripping up the floor. And he's like, you know what? He's my brother, also owns a router company. Let me get him out here for a second opinion. And I'm like, okay, cool. So his brother shows up and he's looking at it. He's I don't think we need to rip up the floor. He's we probably do need to open up this wall though. And I'm like, all right. I was like, do you want me to open up the wall? And he's like, yeah, we typically don't open up walls. And I'm like, all right, it was late. I was like, do you guys want to come back tomorrow morning? They're like, yep, we'll come back at 10 tomorrow morning. If you want to get the wall opened up, I believe there's a vent pipe in there and we'll be able to snake it that way. I'm like, okay, cool. I open up the wall, 10 o'clock rolls around the next morning. Nobody's here. 11 rolls around. I start calling, no answers. Noon rolls around. I'm like, I think these guys just bailed on me based on the experience I've had with other vendors here. So I call another company and I'm like, Hey, can you guys come out there? And they're like, oh yeah, we've serviced this address several times. We know exactly, like they knew the layout of the house and everything. I'm like, okay, awesome. I hang up with them. Dudes from the night before roll up <laughs> and, and I'm like, okay. So I tell them like, the, I was like, look guys, I've called another router company. I called you guys multiple times this morning. I text you, you didn't answer. I thought you guys bailed on me. And to be, it was one brother and his brother was another router company. The two people that I had here and he's like, okay. He's like, I understand. He's cool. He leaves, his brother calls me and is like, at first it's, I was like, look, man, I feel bad, but like, I called you multiple times and you never answered. Then he tells me you should have called me more. And I'm like, and I'm like, I was like, look, man, this is the deal. I'm a business owner too. First of all, you do not tell your clients that it's their job to remind you that you're supposed to be somewhere at a time. Yeah. And then, and then he changes speeds because I told them the router company that I had coming out. 
And I was like, look, if they can't fix it, I'll call you back since you guys were already working on it. And he's, he tells me, I don't think my brother's going to come back out. And I'm like, okay, why? And then he goes into this whole thing about how his brother is a, like an in-law or something for the Reuter company that I have coming out and they have bad blood. And, I, and then I just stop him and I'm like, dude, this is about business and efficiency. I don't want to hear your family drama. This is super unprofessional and you just destroy this relationship. I will not be calling you back. And, and I hung up on him. But long story short, Reuter company came here, knew the property great. They were in and out in like less than an hour. It's all fixed now. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, that's painful. Get, you know, that's, Real estate yeah. is painful. <laughs> yeah. But I think one thing to like highlight there is that a lot of people, even with the first project, like first pipes and everything like that, people threat tons over all the time but i think one of the things to highlight here is that you never just put everything down and you're like oh god this is a horrible situation like why did i do this why did i get into this no you just took it step by step you figured out the issue you fixed it you took it one step at a time you got another roadblock you took that one you took it one step at a time every single time and you never thought a you never put the blame on somebody else you never said oh my god this was the, you've only owned it for two months this couldn't have been your fault like it could have been on the sellers on my agent it's on the inspector it's on a, starting to just place the blame no you took ownership of it and just said hey this is the shit that happens and i've just got to take it as it comes and you just chose to take it that route and when one river company couldn't do it you brought out another one like you didn't just sit around and blaming them and waiting for them to arrive now you take initiative you get it figured out and i think that's something that's very good to highlight yeah for sure and you're 100 right ben and like this not only in real estate like this applies to just entrepreneurship in general but just to like piggyback on what you were saying so after a month of looking i've finally found a handyman that i'm working with that i like and he told me the other day, um, because like, he's got a lot going on. He's taking way longer than he expected on some of the things I'm having him do. And he told me the other day, he's like, man, he's you and your wife are like the most calm, chillest people I've ever worked with. And I was like, nothing, first of all, nothing is worth getting mad about. That's not going to help anybody. Second of all, yeah. no problems, only solutions, man. If you start looking at everything as a problem, like you're just going to dig yourself into a hole. There's always a solution to everything. And like you said, Ben, like I purchased this house. I own it now. It is mine. I did it. I did my due diligence before. It's my fault if I didn't do enough. But these are things yep. that are going to come up. Like no problem. This is, I, this is a 70, 70 ish year old property. There's going to be things and you just got to tackle them when they come up. Yeah. Real estate is not for the faint of heart. And I get worried because like I was telling you that I'm like in the process of purchasing my first house right now and I'm like super excited, but there's lots of stuff that I have to do to keep that same mindset of that. This is my property, the ownership mentality, and then the entrepreneurship mentality. Like I, and it's something too that like when you're in this space of taking a risk, you can either fight or flight. And if you want to be successful in real estate, you should fight. And like for me, like I've been thinking, oh my gosh, I have this new house that I'm going to have to pay. The monthly payment is crazy high. I need to get renters in there to help mitigate that mortgage. How am I going to find renters? And I'm like posting ads on how to do it and trying to figure that out. I haven't even gotten to the phase of owning a house where I have to like worry about finding a handyman and dealing with issues that come up with the house. But it's one of those things that's you just got to keep pushing forward to figure out how you're going to, like you said, get to the solution rather than focusing on the problem.
Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing as well. And vendors is always like the biggest headache out of anything in real estate, because <laughs> even if you do find one that's solid and something's going to happen, they're going to retire. They're going to go on vacation. They're going to have family stuff come up. Like everybody's a human. So you need to have backups on backups. And Cody, you're up there in a kind of tertiary market. So it's a smaller town. There aren't a ton of vendors up there. I see it down here in Denver. We've got hundreds and hundreds of vendors for whatever you need. But finding the good ones is still a challenge and finding anybody who can do it on time and buy at a good price is just almost impossible. And that's my job as like a realtor is like my vendor list is always adapting because somebody does a bad job on a job. They bail on one of my clients, like something happens. I'm like, they were good a week ago. I don't know what to tell you. That's just finding those solutions is the main point all the time. Yep. Yeah, and I think it's important to note too, and like you said, Ben, like build your list. Don't ever get second opinions. Get more than one quote. I always recommend at least three to five quotes. It's yeah. funny, this sewer line issue that I had in this property, I almost had, I had the exact same issue at the Edgewater property right after I purchased it. And at the Edgewater property, I had a company come out and this was really difficult then because it was right in the height of COVID and it was really hard to find vendors that would come out. And the first vendor I had out wanted to rip up the floor there as well for the sewer line. And they quoted me something like $12,500 for the work that needed to be done. Yeah. Uh, I think at the end of the day, I, on that one, I ended up paying $300. I, I called an, uh, other companies. I think the second company I called, I got down to $7,500. And then I called, I, and I highly recommend these guys for anybody that's in Denver. They're called, I believe the company is called Just Sewer Lines. They came out, they looked at it and they were like, no, nah, man, we don't need to rip up this floor. This literally just needs cleaned out real good. And they cleaned yeah. it out and I think it was like 300 bucks. Same story with this property. The guy immediately jumped to ripping up the floor. He told me we're probably looking around somewhere around $5,000. Long story short, the Reuter company I went with ended up coming out and it ended up being a $100 bill. Yeah, get second opinions. It's not just for price shopping around and seeing who has the cheapest price. It's also who's just trying to do a bigger job because they need the paycheck. Jumping to the worst case scenario when, yeah, you're like, hey, it's not a $12,000 job. It's going to cost you 150 bucks. I've done this before. It's just doing that extra level due diligence. Yeah, if you have five guys come out and they all say the same thing, then maybe you have a bigger issue. But if five of them come out they all say that one thing and then you have the other guy worst case scenario he can't fix it for that hundred bucks then you go with the bigger job but but you're out an extra hundred bucks so it's not a big deal yep yeah but i think going back we've covered your kind of real estate endeavors and everything but you've also dabbled and are very successful in the entrepreneurship realm in general what kind of what do you attest to that or where did you decide hey maybe working the nine to five job isn't my cup of tea it's not what i want to do how did you branch out and decide to get into entrepreneurship in general yeah you know and i apologize in advance this is probably gonna be a long window answer i when I, so I joined the Marine Corps, as I had mentioned, straight out of high school. So I was born in 85. The internet was used in my life and I was fascinated by it. I knew it was going to be something big. So almost 
all of my childhood, all of my high school courses I took were geared around me learning software programs, coding, and things like that. 9-11 happened when I was in high school, and I was also kicked out of my house when I was 16. That's a whole nother story. Not really any fault of my own. I just have a little <laughs> crazy backstory. But so I ended up going into the Marine Corps right out of high school. I was in aviation, fourth and all, air wing in the Marines. And I had, I deployed to Iraq and I had issues with PTSD after coming back from Iraq. I was medically discharged from the Marine Corps that just happened to be four, exactly four years at the point when I was in. When I got out, I didn't really know what I was going to do, but I heard, you know, oh yeah, I want, I was going down this path of entrepreneurship and looking at building websites and stuff like that. So I started a video production company with a couple friends of mine. We ran that together for about three years. However, I was personally just having a lot of issues with adjusting back to non-military life. And at the time, a, a large defense contractor was trying to headhunt me and the position was to go over to Afghanistan and run a bunch of operations for them. And just where I was in life, that made a lot of sense for me. It's what I thought I needed and what I was struggling with. I exited that company with my partners. I joined this defense contractor and I went to Afghanistan for three years. In the process of doing that, I realized that defense contractors, even though they put on this thing that they're all about the soldier and everything, they're really not. It's completely about profit. They could care less about the soldier. And I just saw a lot of really nasty stuff. And the stuff I worked on, I didn't like the way that it was being used. So my wife and I had put in a plan for me to get out of that company. It was really difficult at the time because I was, I was, I think I was around 23, 24 at the time. I was making really good money. A majority of the money I was making was non-taxable because when you're willing to do the kind of work that I was doing, you can basically get around paying taxes. And I just didn't, I was really lost. And this might be, I don't know if this is what you guys want to hear, or this might be different than what your audience hears. I was having trouble finding myself. I was medicating with alcohol and I had tapped into this world where I found out that people in the military that were having the same issues that I was having were finding a lot of relief in cannabis and then psilocybin mushrooms. So I went to my wife and my wife's pretty straight edge. And I was like, hey, I think if I take magic mushrooms, it will really help me. And she was like, excuse me? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's the plan. And she was like, ah, I don't know about this. And I was like, okay, all right, backtrack. So I did, I was basically writing like essays and presenting them to my wife, explaining to her why I needed to take ma magic mushrooms and why it would be good for me. And after a very long time of doing that, she was like, all right, you're making a lot of sense. I'm seeing the research because research was starting to be done by programs like MAPS out of John Hopkins University. And she was like, all right, let's do it. So I was like, all right, now I got to figure out how to get mushrooms. And I was able to do that. And literally one weekend, it was a Saturday, I went in my backyard and I took, I guess what is considered a heroic dose of mushrooms, about four grams. And it was life-changing, to be honest with you. I felt a weight lift off of my shoulders. My ego was able to dissolve or the point where the money that I was making at the defense contractor didn't matter to me. And Sunday, me and my wife talked about it. 
Monday, I was going to go into work and quit. I got scared, came back home, talked to my wife some more. And she's like, you just got to do it. And I was like, all right. So Tuesday I went in and I told him I was done. I did a lot of really good work there. So they tried to keep me. They did everything to try to keep me. And I was like, and I fought like they threw a bunch of money at me. They told me I could move and live wherever I wanted. And I said, no, I was like, I'm done. I'm doing something else. I'm going back to working for myself. Now, the next part of that is at the time, my wife did not have a job and luckily we had some savings. But I still didn't really, I didn't have a plan. I didn't really know what I was doing. I started some companies, wasn't feeling it. These were the companies, the agencies I was talking about where we had worked. I'd worked with Verizon on some really big campaigns. I worked with Applebee's on this Taste the Change campaign, which at the time was one of the largest campaigns to ever run. We reached 2 billion people in less than 24 hours. But I still didn't like what I was doing because it was very corporate and I just didn't like the structure. So I was like, I got to figure something else out. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then this light bulb went off in my head. And I was like, I've, I have found relief in my issues through cannabis and mushrooms. And this was 2013, 2014, I believe. And at the time the cannabis industry was still in its very much early in its infancy. Yeah. It was very yeah. early. So I was like, I'll go into cannabis, but and I'm Googling and I'm like, all of the jobs, I would find these jobs and it was all like bud tenders and, and it was these websites with like naked women with like fan lease over their breasts and everything. And I was like, this isn't what I'm looking for. I just came out of aerospace engineering. I need to do something more than being a bud. Not that there's anything wrong with being a bud tender. Like my skill set just wasn't in bud tending. Yeah. So I, d I decided that I would build a SaaS platform that would basically handle hiring and job hosting for tech companies within the cannabis space. That website did very well. It was profitable very quickly. I then decided that if I was going to come into the cannabis industry, I needed to give back to the cannabis industry. So I found a nonprofit that was doing a really good work out in California. I came on as I was just looking at this the other day. I made up my own title. It was director of digital operations and project execution, which to the director of dope. And <laughs> I basically ran this whole campaign leading up to recreational legalization in California in 2016, where we went all over the state to universities. We met with the growers up in Northern California, and we just married everybody and educated everybody on what legalization looked like. We were agnostic. We weren't telling people how they should vote. We just wanted to educate everybody. And that just spiraled. I met a lot of people through that nonprofit. A company that had sponsored our initiative knew about my jobs platform and they asked me if I they could acquire it. I was like, yeah, let's talk about it. And then part of that acquisition deal was that I come in and I help them grow their business. When I came into their business, which is one of the largest publishers within the cannabis space, at the time they were doing about 40 to 50 annual, 40 to 50,000 annual revenue. I've taken them from there up to about 500,000 annual revenue in the last couple of years. And as I had mentioned, I'm currently looking at buying out the majority holder of that business. I'm also involved in several other businesses within cannabis, but also outside of cannabis. I'm basically a, a web entrepreneur. I build websites, I get them profitable and I sell them. Yeah. <laughs> Long it story. sounds like that's kind of where you categorize yourself now, but it sounds like you wouldn't have got there if you weren't able to be honest with yourself about what your 
true passions are, what you really care about. Like you said, you had your ego melt a little bit, which helped you quit the corporate job that was causing you stress and anxiety. And you were able to think about who you are as a person, that you have this background where you know you're an intelligent human being and you can do more than hand weed over the counter. And you were looking for a lifestyle that was going to bring you freedom, but also bring you happiness, knowing that you would be able to work for nonprofit organizations that were doing something that you knew changed your life. And that to me is like the whole culmination of your story of what brought you into this entrepreneurial way of life is because you were able to be honest with yourself and follow your passion. Yeah. Yeah. And the, you, you hit the, you hit it on the head there, Alex, being honest with yourself was is such a big part of that step. And, you know, and keep in mind, like at the time, I think, I, like I said, I think I was like 24, 25. I was making way more money than any of my friends. I had the life that everybody thought you should. I had the job. I had the wife. I had, I had the house, the property, the cars, but I wasn't happy. I was just working myself to death. And I saw the trajectory that I would go on if I stayed there too. Like I would get capped. I saw all the executives at this large defense company. They looked miserable. Their lives were drained. And I knew like, even if I make it to the top, which is going to be like a 10, 15 year journey, I'm going to get capped at three, $400,000 a year. And that wasn't acceptable to me. I was like, I got to get out of this. But then again, ego death was huge because when you're 24, 25, making a good six figure salary and you got everything, that's really hard to walk away from. So I really needed that to just be like, it doesn't matter. Like the money doesn't, your happiness is what matters. It truly was. And now I'm more successful than I could ever hope to be and way more successful than I would be if I stayed at that company. Yeah, oh, that makes me like just get goosebumps. <laughs> I love yeah, I think that. It's, yeah, I think it's great to hear. And I think that culmination of your story or kind of yeah, chasing that passion, I think that is something that's very in everybody or everybody like loves that idea. And hey, I want to do what I love. I want to love what I do. But I think it's important to note that it not everybody can take that step. And people, especially you decided to just quit it, throw it on the back and just step out into no stability. You weren't like, Hey, I'm going to build this on the side while I'm still working my corporate job. Maybe in five years, I'll be able to step away from it. No, you were like, Hey, my happiness is more important for to everything. And I'm not going to settle for what I'm doing currently. What do you think pushed you or was able to push you over that edge? Cause I know a lot of people struggle with that. They might be like there. It's hard for people to give up that stability and that lifestyle that you were just talking about. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, and everybody's situation will be different. But for me, so my wife and I are high school sweethearts. We've known each other since like middle school. And we've always had a thing for each other. We've been together for 20 years. We just celebrated being married for 10 years. And to this day, I still want to impress her like a high school kid. And so... For me, almost everything that I do, is she going to be okay with it? As I discussed earlier, the mushrooms really helped me with my own personal ego and that and my anxieties. But at the end of the day, it's her telling me, yeah, I believe in you and you should do this. So if I get the go ahead from her, that's the straw. That's all right. I'm doing this. I'm quitting or I'm doing whatever it is that I'm yapping to her about. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, having that emotional support system is a very important thing, I think. <laughs> I yeah. really appreciate that you were able to be so transparent with us, Cody, and being able to really share like the depths of your journey because I don't know. I feel like that's something that we didn't intend on our podcast. And it honestly shows like that we're all humans here. Like we all are going through this existence and yeah, we all want to be successful and yeah, real estate's a thing, but then to also have just the vulnerability to share what you've gone through, where you're at today, to see you as a successful individual but it all comes back to, you know, the love in your life and the knowing who you are. I don't know. Inspires me. Thanks, man. <laughs> but it's, dude, it's so important. And just to, to say, like, and I always know to be clear, like I've, it's taken a lot of work to get to the person that I am today. I wasn't always this great person. I didn't always have my shit together. But one thing I've learned over the years is you have to be really honest with yourself if you want to be successful. So many people lie to themselves on who they are. And a lot of that is ego or insecurity or whatever it is. But one thing I'll say just on this topic and then we can move on is if you're with the boys and you can't have real conversations with the boys and all you do is you go out and drink and that's your relationship, you need to find a new circle. You need to find boys or friends or whoever that you can have real meaningful conversations with and really honest conversations about who you are and how you can be a better person. Yeah, that kind of sums up and yeah, it's just you are like some of the five people that you hang out the most with. I think yep. that's one of the most important things to note there. And I think that kind of wraps that up for you. We're getting close to an hour. I was thinking we could talk about either what is the future for you? What are you thinking you want to do next? Or we could get into our kind of end of podcast questions. What are you guys up for? I'm, I'm good. I have at least another hour before I need to do anything. So whatever <laughs> you guys need to do. Yeah, I think it might be helpful since you've been this person to just bounce around and follow what you love all the time to just hear what your plans look like and where you're heading from here. I know we've got further real estate endeavors. I know you've got further entrepreneur endeavors, but yeah, we can cover high level or kind of, yeah, where you see yourself in the next couple of years here. Yeah, for sure. I've had a little bit of a mindset shift within the last couple months and just where I see myself going. And I'm also, I'm at that point right now where I'm getting back to what I loved as a high schooler and what I really want to do. So real estate, I think is always going to be something that I pursue going forward. I think that's just smart to do from a, an investment angle, but I'm, I'm, putting a lot of time and effort into tech, specifically a lot of AI things that are coming along. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with OpenAI and ChatGPT that have been coming out recently. Things like Midjourney, Dolly. I'm really interested in platforms like Bubble and Webflow, which are no-code platforms. And I'm finding that... I think real estate is really good to build wealth. I think when you really start to see the true advantage is going to be down the road, but when you can put large sums of capital into real estate, those returns make a lot of sense. Uh, I like big returns and I'm finding that when you can flip websites these days and you can get, I would say 40, 60% 
return in the first year is very attainable. So I'm focusing a lot of effort onto that. And then to build out my whole plan is using that for more capital to then invest in real estate for the long term. So that, that's where I'm focused right now. I'm starting to spin up a lot of things outside of cannabis. I've been into cannabis for, I think, six, seven years now. And don't get me wrong, I love the cannabis industry. For a long-term growth, I just need to branch outside of that. So I'm going to get really focused on SaaS and website development outside of cannabis and just flipping websites, really. And to relate this to the audience, Flipping websites in the tech space is really not that much different than flipping real estate. You find a asset that you can improve, you improve it. In websites, you're looking to improve monthly reoccurring revenue because that's how websites get multiple. Where you know in real estate, you're flipping, you're creating that equity, and then you're get you're gonna get your money out. So they're very similar. I just find that the returns, if you know what you're doing in websites, is a bit more and a bit quicker. So then I can take that capital and then put it into a long-term asset like real estate. Yeah. Yeah. And just to wrap that up or try to summarize exactly what you just said, it sounded, it sounds, yeah, you've got real estate as your backbone or your passive income and your wealth building tool. And then you've got your other endeavors and you're flipping up the websites and building these entrepreneurial businesses as your kind of income or your active income every day and where you're using that to funnel into your real estate. That's what I always say about flipping versus buy and hold investments on the real estate side too. Like flipping is really, it's not, I would classify it as almost not even investment because it is just a job. But is that active income once you sell it off and once you procure it, you're just, you put that money in your pocket, but it's not generating anything. So it's active income versus a buy and hold, which is creating passive income. It's creating wealth. It's growing. It's like the stock market at that point. So I think that's what they're cohesive in that sense and they're culminating in your entire yeah, income journey. They're not counteracting each other. They're working together to create a harmony. Yeah, exactly. It's just kind of like the cycle of the investment strategy. I guess. Yeah. yeah, you take your active income and you put it into a passive asset. That's the yep. name of the game. <laughs> this transitions really well into one of our closing questions, which is what is your favorite area invest of investing? And I'm going to tweak it a little bit. What are you most excited to be investing in moving forward? I'm very excited about what I just talked about. The tech that is currently coming out and how easy it is. So a lot of people think that they have to know all kinds of coding languages and everything to be good at building websites or software companies or things like that. Where we're at in technology right now, you just don't have to. And something for me in the past is I can code. I don't like it. It's really tedious and annoying to me. So that always slowed me down in the past. But now with the tools that are available, like I, I built a website, like a full e-commerce from last weekend and 10 hours just because I wanted to try out some of these new platforms that are out there. So I guess what I'm getting at is one, it's easier than ever. If you have an idea, it's easier than ever to build it. And I'm super excited about that and the returns that I can get on that to then move into the real estate like we were talking about. So I guess to answer your question in short, I'm really excited about the tech space and specifically in AI tools and no code tools and how we can build platforms today. Sweet. Awesome. And how are you, how do you define investing in those? Is that money that you're putting into them or is it the time that you're putting into developing websites or what is your definition of investing there? 
Yeah. So I'm open to both angles. So obviously there's time. If I'm really passionate about something, I'll put a lot of my time into it. So there's that. And then, but also buying websites. So I would say that initial investment, just like buying a house, buying the website and then improving it and selling it down the road. So that that's my investment strategy on that side. Sweet. Awesome. Yeah. And I guess we can just move into yeah the other questions that we've got. So yeah, we skipped ahead a little bit, but what is one book that you have read that changed your kind of investing mindset? Yeah. So (laughs) this one's really hard for me to answer. One, I don't read books like normal people read books. And I'm not saying I don't read. I use books as if I need to know something, like I'll get a book that I know talks on the topic but I'll go to the topic that I need to know. I don't, I, to be 100% honest with you, I don't think I have ever finished an investment book. Like I got to where I needed the information that I was lacking. I extracted that information and I moved on. I am really big on like autobiographies and stuff like that. I love reading about successful entrepreneur stories. So if I was going to recommend any books, I guess there would be two. One would be Delivering Happiness by Tony Shea, which unfortunately has passed away due to who knows what. But he is the, whoever doesn't know, he found it Zappos. He did found it. He took over Zappos.com and built it into the powerhouse that it is today. And he's also done tons of other things. But that book is on, the first half of it is essentially on Tony's life and how he got into entrepreneurship. And then the second half on it is how to basically go above and beyond in delivering your client the best service that they could have. It is an amazing book. It really changed how I approach a lot of things and everything that I do. And then the other book that, so when I, when I started my very first company at the time, Best Buy offered a, to their employees that was just 5% above cost. And it was a video production company. So we needed a lot of video equipment, cables and everything. So I got a part-time job at Best Buy working in their audio installation area. And I specifically got this job to get the discount at Best Buy to basically get all the equipment we needed for our business. The very first day that I started there, I did not do the job that I was hired for. They needed help on the floor. So they asked me to come out on the floor. Over nine months of working at Best Buy, I ended up completely reorganizing this store, taking them to one of the top three stores in Best Buy. And because of that, they put me into some leadership course. And part of that course was you had to read this book, Now Discover Your Strengths. And that book was very impactful to me. I forget who wrote, two doctors wrote it. And at the, if you buy, if you actually buy the book and don't go on like a used book, but if you actually buy the book, you get a code to take a course on their website and it identifies your top five strengths and your top five weaknesses. And then the book is all about how do you turn those weaknesses into strengths? And that book just resonated with me really well. And it gave me the ability to do things that I thought, like, for example, I have pretty bad anxiety. I now, my anxiety is one of my best traits. It's what makes me amazing at everything I do. It's why I'm so detail oriented. It's why I find inefficiencies in things and places people don't because I, the anxiety, but I don't look at it as anxiety anymore. It's just a, it's a trait of mine that I have. And I use it for the better now. And that's all thanks to that book, Now Discover Your Strengths. That's cool. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. All right. Next question. Who is the most important person on your team that has made you successful? Yeah. You know, I think we covered this. It's my wife, hands down. Yeah. Uh, she's my rock. She is, she's everything to me. Without her, I would not be where I am. She, and this is really important for people back to where we were talking about being honest with yourself. There are people out there that might want to be entrepreneurs or do these things but their spouse or partner or significant other just doesn't support it. That is so important. I have people that I know in my circles that always want to know how they see what me and my wife do is we're just living the best life ever because they think that we don't work and we're traveling all the time. Obviously we work and bring in money to support all this, but they want to, how do I get there? How do I do this? And uh, so many times in those conversations, there's another person that's factored in that is holding them back. And that is just unfortunately the, the truth and the reality of the situation. And a lot of people don't want to address that. I'm very lucky and my wife has always been so supportive. She, I have crazy ideas and she is, she's 100% on board. She's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's, we both don't have jobs. Let's sell this house and move to Colorado and start this whole new life in the cannabis industry. This is great. So without her and having that, and I, I guess because I've lost so much ego, she's my ego booster. She's the only, she's, you got this, babe. You're going to do this. You're the best. You're so smart. You always figure things out. And like without her, I just wouldn't be able to do everything I do. I need her to get to that next idea that I have. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's super important because yeah, instead of having maybe finding stability and yeah, having a recurring paycheck or having a stable job, you guys find stability in each other instead. So even if you do say, Hey, nope, I'm not happy with what I'm doing. Screw the paycheck. I don't need it. We're going to make it through this no matter what, because we have each other. I think that's more important than anything. And I think finding that stability is one of the best things that you can do. Yeah. And just Ben, you just said something that really hit home. And so I guess at the end of the day, the thing for me is, and I'm a super risky person too, but at the end of the day, and I've done this before, I've made money and I've gone broke more than once, but I always know that she's not going anywhere. I know that we could be living in a tent in the woods and she's still going to be there with me. So I have no fear of oh my God, if I lose everything, am I going to lose this amazing woman? I don't have that fear. I know she's not going to leave me. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Second to last question here. What is one actionable item you would recommend to somebody who's trying to do what you're doing? This is going to be so cliche, but just take action. Like executors are what get things done. Like you, so you can read all the books, you can watch all the YouTube videos, you can do that and get in what is it, analysis paralysis or whatever. You just have to take action and things aren't always going to go your way. You're going to fail. I have failed a lot out of all the websites and everything that I've done that are successful. There's way more failures, but those failures are important because that's where you learn. If you don't ever buy a property and have to deal with a bad sewer line, like you're never going to know what to do. And moving forward, then you like, when you get a bad sewer line, you're like, Oh yeah, I've done this before. This is easy. Like you just have to execute and do. If you're listening to this, like I have probably listened to so much in the past and so many other people have where you get in this phase and you're just listening to podcasts, you're watching YouTube videos and you're like, I want to do that. I want to do that. Just go do it. Stop listening to other people that are doing it and just do it. Become the expert that you're listening to. Go figure it out.
hi, thank you for tuning in to the Stealth Wealth Podcast. You can find out more information in the show notes as well as find our contact information. Please feel free to reach out to either Ben or myself and let us know what you want to hear on future episodes. As always, your continued support is much appreciated. So please leave us a review and hit that notification button to hear our next episode.